usually what I say to people is, you know, what is it you really want? Um, what are you really looking for? Because it always is most important when there's a great match between what it is that um, gets them excited, what it is that they really want to get better at, or they really want to lead in. Um, and if we can make that connection and really help put them in a scenario that's the best match for them, then that's a win-win for us. So I, I try to um, push people a little bit to think about what's really important to them. Is research important to them? Is being an educator important to them? Is being a manager or a leader important to them? Um, you know, what is it they think they're good at? What do they want to get better at? When saving lives is what you do, your standards are anything but standard. In fact, you set them higher than most to deliver results that patients can depend on. You refuse to compromise. We couldn't agree more. We are Edwards Life Sciences, and like you, we believe that good is never good enough. Rising to the challenge of today's TAVR patients isn't just a mission, it's a commitment. And because you set a higher standard, we set our sights on meeting you there. Welcome to the higher standard, your standard. Learn more at edwardstaver.com. You're listening to Parallax from Radcliffe Cardiology in association with makeadent.org. Here is your host, Ankur Kalra, MD, from the Cleveland Clinic. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to another episode of Parallax. Um, this is uh, the second episode um, which we are bringing to all of our listeners in collaboration with the Heart Failure Society of America. Uh, the first one, um, which we recorded a few weeks ago, uh, was with the editors-in-chief of the Journal of Cardiac Failure, which happens to be the, the official journal of the Heart Failure Society of America with uh, Drs. Manson and Lala, Anu and Rob, and was very well received. So this is just continuing uh, with the same theme um, with which we've collaborated with HFSA, and that is the theme of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And my guest tonight, um, you know, I say tonight, I'm sure you're listening to this uh, in, in several different time zones, uh, but, you know, for us locally in Northeast Ohio, it's late Monday evening. So my guest tonight is Dr. Albert. Um, Dr. Nancy Albert is the immediate past president of the Heart Failure Society of America. In fact, she was just telling me that she just stepped down two weeks ago. So congratulations to her for, you know, stupendous role and, and for the position. Um, Dr. Albert is also the Associate Chief Nursing Officer of Research and Innovation at the Nursing Institute at the Cleveland Clinic. She's a clinician nurse specialist uh, in the George M. and Linda H. Kaufman Center for Heart Failure Treatment and Recovery at the Heart Vascular and Thoracic Institute at the Cleveland Clinic. And it is my absolute pleasure and honor to welcome Dr. Albert on the show. Dr. Albert, welcome, and thank you so much for doing this for us. Thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure to be here. Um, so, yes, well, congratulations, you know, like I said, uh, on your role as the immediate past president of uh, a national society, which is, um, you know, battling heart failure and trying to 
you know, supplant heart failure with heart function. I think kudos to, uh, you know, um, uh, pioneers like yourself and, and Anu and, and Rob uh, to sort of take the field forward and move it into the the new space of heart function from heart failure, like, like Anu says. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it really, everyone at Parallax, it's our honor to collaborate with HFSA on such an important topic. Um, of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, which is which has garnered, uh, I believe, a lot of focus, uh, rightly so, and also a lot of momentum uh, over the past year or so, or maybe over the past couple of years. Um, so let me begin by asking you, uh, you know, in your role um, as the immediate past president of a national society which caters to um, such an important uh, component of our lives as cardiologists, uh, what were some of the uh, so first off, you know, how did the concept of DEI, as we call it, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, come up in your meetings? You know, in your vision statement uh, for the year that uh, you were uh, at the helm uh, at a national society like the HFSA, and uh, what were some of the activities that you got the society involved in to promote DEI? So it's a really great question. And I have to say that um, we think about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and it, it, it underlies everything we do. So we're always trying to be very careful to make sure that we are inclusive um, and that we do have belonging. We're a multidisciplinary organization. And as such, we have many different member groups, including patients. And we need to make sure that we're really meeting the needs of everybody. So to give you some examples of how we um, live uh, DEI, um, in addition to having a policy, of course, and having a vision statement related to it that, you know, every aspect of the work we do, we consider um, uh, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, we have, um, we think about it in, in many different ways. First, we think about it from a race standpoint, a gender standpoint, a career path standpoint. For example, some of our members are clinicians, some are researchers, some are educators, some are basic scientists. Um, we also think about it from a career level standpoint. We have young investigators or early career members we have very senior members and we have mid-career members. And so um, we think about it from that angle. And again, because we're multidisciplinary, uh, we have many different professions. Um, I'm a registered nurse, but about 60% of our membership are physicians. We have other APP groups, uh, pharmacists, for example, um, and uh, physicians assistants. And so there's a lot to think about when we think about DEI from our organization standpoint. We have a leadership recruitment committee at uh, Heart Failure Society of America. And uh, once a year, we put out a call for um, members to volunteer for many various committee roles, uh, work group roles, and even board of director members and executive board members. And it's the work of the leadership recruitment committee to make sure they really consider DEI in all of its aspects when we're um, considering members. So for example, this year, the board is 55% male, 45% female. Um, we have multiple races on the committee. We have um, people who have different backgrounds on the board. Um, we have two nurses obviously multiple physicians. So you can kind of get a sense 
that we really try to live that multidisciplinary nature of the organization. I would say for anybody listening, if you're in heart failure or whatever organization you belong to, please volunteer because in order for us to be able to live our mission and to be able to um, enhance belonging, we need to have people volunteer because if they don't volunteer, then they're not at the table for us to make selections to be inclusive. We recognize also that when we put on our annual symposium, um, our annual scientific meeting, that we need to think about DEI and belonging in every aspect of that from the panel that's uh, selected for different uh, sessions um, to every aspect. So we're always looking to really make sure that we're meeting the needs of our different membership and allowing those different voices to come forward. Um, another way you already had um, uh, Dr. Mentz and, um, and Lala's uh, give, a, give a session on the journal, but we think about it when we look at publications as well. Again, we want to make sure that we're considering all the different nuances of heart failure and meeting the needs of our different multidisciplinary members. And so we wouldn't want the journal to just strictly have basic science or just strictly have topics of high importance to um, uh, physicians who are um, looking for only cutting edge, innovative work. We know we've got a lot of nurses, we've got patients who are members, and we need to have a variety of papers that are published in this journal that meet the needs of early career as well as seniors and people who just want to get better at uh, doing what they do day in and day out, as well as our more senior members who really have a strong background and are looking for that novel paper that it gives them food for thought and makes them think about where they're going to take um, the ideas to the next level. So I think when, when I think about the DEI aspect, education is a really important one. On the website, we have um, um, HFSA 365. It's a program that allows networking among members. And then we also offer a lot of education on our website. And again, we're trying to, in every way we can, meet the needs of our multiple different member groups um, and also raise attention to the many variety of speakers that we have that are experts that may not be well known out there, but who are really experts in their own right. And so we try to bring in a lot of our early career people have them get some attention to what they're capable of, as well as our very senior leaders who've been um, past presidents of the organization and who have led the charge of uh, research, innovation, advocacy, et cetera, in the heart failure space for many, many years. Um, so, uh, you know, excellent answer. You touched upon, you know, several key issues, which, you know, I, I want to parse out for, um, you know, better understanding, not only for myself, but also for the listenership, you know, those who are listening, particularly in the heart failure world, who want to, um, you know, be more visible or, you know, get more involved um, within the proceedings of uh, the Heart Failure Society of America. Um, if someone um, feels that he or she is 
from a background, you know, that may not be conducive to, um, you know, visibility in terms of, you know, having the right connection um, or having the right mentor that can put a word in or, you know, ma- just making the initial uh, connection with someone who is at an influential position like yourself, you know, being the immediate past president of the organization, uh, you know, or, or for example, me, you know, I just had the privilege to make a connection with Dr. Starling, who then, you know, put forth uh, me in touch with, um, you know, sort of the the administration at HFSA for us to be able to to do these series. But, um, you know, for people who are not as privileged to have those kinds of connections within their organization and want to do something, you know, want to volunteer, want to make themselves visible, you know, want to participate, want to learn, want to grow. How do they, um, and, you know, have that, have that feeling that, you know, oh, we're not connected. You know, we don't have mentors who are connected. We don't have the resources to reach to the higher ups in HFSA. What do you have to say to them and how do you think you can circumvent this this issue, which, you know, I know for a fact is an issue because, you know, if, like, you know, for example, with some of the other national organizations, and I'm not talking about HFSA, but with some of the other organizations, I have personally experienced, you know, such feelings about, um, you know, oh, this is just a, this is just a niche club um, and, you know, only people who have connections can actually you know, make themselves visible. So, I mean, it, 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 it sounds like that HFSA has done uh, a lot of, um, you know, things in the right direction and, you know, in order to break these silos. And I just, I, I thought this is an, this is an important question for me to ask because, uh, you know, this may be the perception out there and, you know, how, how do you think you have mitigated and sort of tried to reverse this, this perception? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. And there's always perceptions in any organization that, um, it may be hard to get in the door. It may be hard to, uh, be seen or be heard. But one of the things that we've done is, um, you know, we have a website, of course, and we've got this new HFSA 365. So anybody can go on at any time and, um, and raise their voice. They could raise a question. They could request to network with somebody. Um, they can um, ask questions. Um, for sure, they can let us know that they're interested in, in uh, volunteering. So during the year uh, in my tenure um, as president, I received emails occasionally from people who said, how do I get involved? And um, when that happens, it's simply very easy to send their information over to the leadership recruitment committee and also to just remind the person that once a year we do a call for volunteer roles and they need to submit their CV and let us know what they're interested in. Even if they don't get a position on a committee, because our committees are um, small, we are, it's our belief that to have a really well-functioning committee, you can't have too many members. So most of our committees uh, run with seven to 11 members top. So it's not like there's 30 members on a committee and there's hundreds and hundreds of uh, vacancies every year. But what we do say to people is, you know, if we know what you're interested in, if something pops up, we need to have a work group. Um, we need to develop um, um, some sp- small uh, group to get together and um, meets a special need and they may disperse. It may not be a committee that's all year long. We'll go back into that 
volunteer pool and bring new members in. Because each of our committees have some early career members as well as some senior career members, there's always an opportunity for the early career people to listen, to learn, to watch, to observe, um, so that they can kind of see what happens and how that senior member jumps in, gives voice, um, isn't afraid to speak up, even if somebody says, you know, I disagree with you, I think we should consider this. But that's the only way to, to get started is to make a voice for yourself. Uh, at our annual meeting every year, we have a speed mentoring session, and it's so much fun. It's about an hour and a half long, and um, uh, people who want to be mentored by experts in the field uh, get five minutes in the chair, eyeball to eyeball with the expert. Uh, they could ask any questions they want. So they could say, you know, how do I get published? How do I get on a speaker circuit? How, how do I get companies to recognize that I know what I'm talking about and I could be an expert consultant for them? They could ask anything at all. And that person gives them advice and then a little bell rings and they go to the next table and the next table. They could ask the same question multiple times and get multiple points of view and then leave with all of those points of view and figure out from themselves which point of view resonates best with them, which point of view is closest to their personality or their style of acting so that they can make changes um, in their profession and grow and develop in it. So I would say that um, really we we need people to raise their voice, let us know of their interest, and also um, be visible at things like speed mentoring, or if they see a call for something coming up on the website to jump in and volunteer, because it may be that when they do volunteer, they meet the right people and it's those connections and the communication and collaboration that could really lead to future ventures. I'll give you a very brief example. It's not so much Heart Failure Society of America related, but many, many years ago, I was asked to be on a steering committee for a national research uh, study. And at the time, I would say probably the rest of the committee were very high level leaders in heart failure, most of them did not know me very well, um, but after that five-year period when I was on the steering committee, I was invited to another steering committee and another steering committee. So once you get started, if you're very active, if you're somebody who does show um, initiative and a willingness to raise your voice and, and give feedback and do the work behind the scenes, um, people will pay attention, they'll notice you, and it could make a wonderful marriage in terms of uh, moving professionally um, or advancing professionally and, and meeting personal needs as well as professional needs. Yeah, no, so, so some really excellent tips there. Um, so, Dr. Albert, you know, one question which, um, you know, I, I just came up with as I was listening to you, and it's something that you actually brought up when, when we were just uh, introducing each other, uh, and that was... Um, you know, you being at the helm of a, a national organization and, and being a clinician and, a, and an advanced practice provider yourself, um, have you seen um, other advanced practice providers approach you uh, for, you know, roles within the organization, for roles, 
you know, in, in, in several committees that you described and have they also approached you for, for mentorship, you know, with regard to how do they move their career professionally to the next level? You know, just, I'm sure you are, um, you, you know, you are a shining example and a guiding light to so many advanced practice providers. So I'm just curious to know, because I know that other organizations, other national organizations have, um, um, realized, uh, I mean, you know, I mean, all of us work very, very closely with our colleagues and advanced practice providers and know how vital they are to our, our, our daily functioning, you know, in order for us to take care of our patients and for, um, you know, establishing, um, you know, teamwork. I, I know team of teams is the theme of the Cleveland Clinic. Um, yes. Uh, but, you know, for me, um, I think what what is really inspiring, um, you know, to, to see your career and, and to see your role as the immediate past president is you being the beacon of such a vital workforce, you know, for us within cardiovascular medicine. Would you agree? And, and you know, I'm, I'm curious to learn from you how you've fostered uh, and inspired the next generation of APPs? It's, thanks again for asking that question. Um, I would say that um, I've been very fortunate that um, because I do research and because I present nationally and internationally, um, I do often get the opportunity to meet many wonderful APPs out there um, who are interested in fostering their careers. They They don't just want to Uh, go into work every day and go home. They really want to leave a legacy or they want to feel that they've done something worthwhile and good for the betterment of their patients um, and for the betterment of society. And so they do ask questions about how they can get involved. Um, Usually what I say to people is, you know, what is it you really want? Um, What are you really looking for? Because it always is most important when there's a great match between what it is that Um, gets them excited, what it is that they really want to get better at or they really want to lead in. Um, And if we can make that connection and really help put them in a scenario that's the best match for them, then that's a win-win for us. So I I try to um, push people a little bit to think about what's really important to them. Is research important to them? Is being an educator important to them? Is being a manager or a leader important to them? Um, you know, what is it they think they're good at? What do they want to get better at? And so once we, once I know that, then I could help steer them in the right direction. And sometimes it may be something at HFSA, but in other scenarios, it may be um, me calling them up in my regular work role and saying, hey, would you like to be a, part, a participant in this research study, a co-investigator? Um, this will allow me to have multi-site study versus a single-site study. So for somebody who's interested in research, I'll drag them in that way. In many cases, uh, this is maybe the first research study the person has done. They may never have published before. Um, They may never have seen a proposal being written and um, gone through the process of IRB oversight, et cetera. So I would say that from the role standpoint, it's mostly about me listening and finding out what's really important to the colleague. And then when I have the capability and when I know that interest is there, I could try to make connections. It may be a connection through the organization. It may be a connection through a colleague who says, hey, Nancy, do you know somebody who's interested in doing X, Y, Z? And I could say, I know the perfect person. 
And then when it comes to mentorship, um, I think mentorship takes on many different forms. A lot of the mentoring I do is lately in writing for publication, as an example. And so there's a lot of nurses out there that really want to be published, but they've never really been trained in how to write for publication. And so I do that often by being a, a reviewer, um, not an author, just a reviewer on their papers. I may spend five hours reviewing the paper, giving a ton of feedback um, to help somebody think about how to write in a way that's going to meet the needs of a typical editor of a journal so that they have a fighting chance of not getting a rejection, but instead getting a revise and resubmit. So I do spend quite a bit of time in, in that type of a mentorship role and then also in the research side. But I would say overall, it's really based on what's important to that person. In my role as a leader at Cleveland Clinic, I get telephone calls and emails from many um, nurses who are fresh from getting a PhD in nursing and they want to take a research track as an example, but they don't, they have no idea how to get started on that journey. They don't want to go to academia and be in an, a faculty member and, and teach 100% of the time. And so they're not sure how to set up a career for themselves. So oftentimes I will have one hour conversations with people on the phone, usually in the evening, kind of like tonight, um, and just give them a chance to tell me what it is that's important to them, what it is they want to see themselves doing in five years. And then I could offer them advice about how to get from point A to point B. And usually I try to give more than just one piece of advice. I try to almost in a way give them parallel tracks so they could think about how to get there in multiple ways and then they could figure out which works best for them. Yeah, no, that all of that sounds incredible and wonderful. And I'm sure that, uh, you know, people who you've spoken to and people who you've mentored are incredibly grateful and um um, you know, thankful to the the time that you've spent with them. When you were um, at the Hell Night HFSA, did you uh, specifically um, invest in programs to, you know, bring up uh, careers in in nursing? Uh, I mean, knowing your background and knowing your interest in in mentorship, uh, has HFSA specifically, uh, you know, invented, for lack of a better word, programs for you know, nursing mentorship, because I, that's something which, I, you know, I, I perceive, you know, and once again, this this is a question that is a just a just a natural extension to, you know, what you just told us is I, I don't think I've seen several, many other societies within the cardiovascular medicine space, you know, develop programs specifically for nursing mentorship. And, and you've brought that up so eloquently and described it so vividly that, that this was just an, a natural extension to to your answer, was that something that you you under you undertook when you were uh, at uh, at the Helmet HFS? So I was very careful when I was the president in this last year to make sure that I was trying to be um, to meet the needs of all members and didn't just target one group, whether it was nurses or young investigators or any single group. But previous to that, when I was on the board of directors, um, I found myself very often. Uh, being the spokesperson for nursing. So if, um, if, as you can imagine, you know, the majority of the board of members are physicians 
And um, oftentimes I'd be the ones mentioning either nurses. And to be honest, whenever I talk about nurses, I also talk about PharmDs because they're the other group that may only have one board member that's a PharmD. And so I just want to make sure that the entire board constantly is aware that we've got other fractions or other groups of members that may not be in as big as numbers as physicians, but they have a really important role in their membership and we need to meet their needs. The other thing is uh, we have a nursing committee at HFSA and it's a very long-standing committee. I, in fact, that was the very first committee I ever volunteered on when I first became a member and I became a member shortly after the organization um, was started. The other thing that we've done and we really, um, I would say escalated it in this last year with me as the president is that we've worked really closely with the American Association of Heart Failure Nurses. So there's an association out there for nurses, many of whom are advanced practice nurses, and we've decided as an example to set up a pharmacy um, a, a course in the winter, so maybe in January or February of next year, um, to help nurses that are APPs who need to have a certain amount of contact hours or continuing education in pharmacy to maintain their pharmacy license. Um, we um, try to do things with that organization so that we are being inclusive and making sure that we're meeting nurses' needs and not just for HFSA, but also um, in a way to be reciprocal and meet the needs of AAHFN, which we kind of consider our sister organization. So I think there's a lot going on behind the scenes to uh, raise nurses up in general and raise up advanced practice providers, again, PharmDs as well, and make them um, understand that they're not just wanted, but that we have programs and services that really are there to meet their needs and um, and give them that uh, value for their membership. Yeah, no, excellent. So, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming, you know, I'm not a member of the HFSA, uh, you know, perhaps I should be, you know, I'm, I'm on, you know, I'm, I'm an interventional cardiologist, but I'm, you know, Dr. Starling said that there is an interventional arm within HFSA because of how closely, you know, interventionalists are now working with heart failure experts because of all the therapies that we have. Um, but, you know, what I was uh, going to ask you was specifically with regard to two groups, you know, one would be, you know, fellows in training, and then the other one would be early career. Um, how do you think um, HFSA, specifically with regard to diversity, equity, inclusion, you know, and belonging, have fostered um, deeper involvement from both these uh, both these groups of people, because you know, I think a lot of the a lot of the fellows in training, a lot of the the advanced heart failure fellows, for example, a lot, a lot of the early career, you know, really are looking for ways to contribute more than just clinical care. Which you know, obviously, I mean, early career is such a such an, an important time in one's career because you have to focus on doing excellent clinical work, but at the same time, you all you're also brimming with new ideas and. You know, you're brimming with um, with the zeal to change the world, and you just want to be, uh, you know, out there and and um, sort of be the be, you know be the new face of of heart of heart function, heart failure, what have you. Um, how has HFSA, um, you know, fostered deeper involvement from both these groups? 
Yeah, so HFSA, again, has um, many committees. Um, we do have an early career committee, and um, we don't have a fellows in training committee, but we have a lot of other committees that fellows who are in training may be interested in, whether it's a VAD, transplant committee, etc. And what we do is we really try to allow them to develop their own um, objectives and goals for the year based on the vision and mission and the strategic initiatives that the board of directors have put in place, and then to let us know what they want to do and how they want to go about it. So to give you an example, our early career committee had a very um, dedicated uh, female physician who was an early career member, and she decided about a year and a half ago that we ought to have a woman in heart failure committee um, because um, it's it's been long known that there's fewer women in heart failure and that uh, they may feel marginalized compared to men, male counterparts in the field. And so she put in a request to uh, have us start a woman in heart failure committee um, for the first year, we made it a task force, and then it did so well, and they were so um, productive that we turned it into a full-fledged committee. And this year at our annual scientific meeting, we not only had a reception for women in heart failure, we also had a session um, that really focused on early career and women together. Um, and so they had we had four speakers at that meeting. One was an APN. Um, I was there to speak as the president, um, and then we had two other physician speakers as well. And so they all gave viewpoints about how to um, enhance your career, how to get ahead, um, what to consider, um, so that people that were in the audience could take the advice and help plan their own path for a career success. So that's just one example. But I would say that in general, HFSA really cares about listening to members' needs, issues, concerns. And so we do um, raise, when, when members bring ideas forward or bring comments forward, we do spend time talking about them to see how we can meet those needs, if we can meet the needs, how we can meet the needs. And again, we oftentimes give it right back to the people who asked and say, you know, let's put a work group together and see if we could take this to the next level and give the people who are making the request the opportunity to bring something forward in a more formalized manner. Yeah, no, that's, that's excellent. Um, so maybe, um, you know, th this, this may be the last question and um, then, you know, I'll, I'll open for, you know, dialogue and maybe, uh, you know, feedback or some of the, closing comments from you, but um, in terms of how does, you know, in terms of supporting its members, um, um, how does HFSA um, support um, the, you know, the, it's, it's members from, from varied backgrounds. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming there are, you know, like you said, early career members, there are senior members, there are now women in heart failure, there are advanced practice providers. Uh, and, you know, uh, please feel free to add if I've missed any particular group, which, you know, is is a major force within the organization. Um, you know, because and, and the reason I ask this question is that there are a lot of competing organizations which are vying for attention from from the same group of you know individuals, you know, because we're all we're all in cardiovascular medicine and, 
you know, we, we all have our, our niches and meetings and we all have affiliations with, with various national organizations. So, you know, in terms of its uniqueness to supporting its members, because I'm sure it's a closer knit community, which is always, which is always better in my opinion. Uh, but how, what are some of the unique aspects within HFSA, um, you know, with regard to its membership and how it fosters career development for its members, uh, you know, within their respective institutions and also nationally? Right. Um, I would say that it's all about programs for us. Um, we have an HFSA Learning Center, and in that Learning Center, there are many opportunities for any member, um, early career, somebody who's embarking on something new or different to get involved. Um, we have a career center specifically for people that um, want to get information about maybe job opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. We have an optimal medical therapy and heart failure certification program. Um, that's really a program for people who um, are not heart failure experts, but really want to better understand how to optimize medical therapy, mainly pharmacologic therapy, uh, but it could apply to CRT and ICD as well so that they can do a better job of decreasing the burden of heart failure and improving patient outcomes. Um, we've, I think we've spent a lot of time in the last few years in publications and in sessions talking about the fact that um, we're not always doing the best job for our patients as possible. We know what drugs, uh, drug classes we're supposed to be giving. We know what the target doses are. And yet when we look at real world big data studies, we see that we're not always quite there. So the Optimum Medical Therapy and Heart Failure Certificate Program is really meant to help the non-expert members who want to get better to have a recourse of learning so that uh, they can um, any day, any time, sit down, go through the different uh, screens, um, you know, be challenged to take little quizzes and then um, show their evidence of, of knowledge. Um, we also have a heart failure certification program. So as you probably know, the ABIM, the American um, uh, uh, Board of Internal Medicine, um, has a fellowship um, or a certification, I'm sorry, for people who are VAD and transplant cardiologists, but for people that um, have their own practice, but they really don't focus on VADs or transplant. They send those patients to the academic medical center in, in maybe another city or down the road. We really wanted to have certification for them. So again, these may be people that feel like they're an expert, but they want to be able to show their expertise by showing that they are certified in heart failure. So you can see we've got many different forms of continuing education. We've got a certificate program to help people out. We've got a career center, a learning center. We also give out awards every year, and we've made a conscious decision um, while I was president and um, the president right before me, Dr. Beacom Boskirk, that we really need to increase the number of awards we give out every year because there's so many deserving heart failure team members that are, are members of HFSA who've done some wonderful things but really haven't gotten the recognition they deserved. So this year we started with four new awards in addition to the awards we had previously, and next year they're going to escalate even further. So we made the decision this year to escalate um, for next year. And again, I think those are all 
um, ways that people can get some attention um, to their own career, help themselves with understanding and knowledge, um, connect them to the right people. I mentioned the uh, HFSA 365 in terms of networking and um, being able to contact somebody who's a leader in the field. Um, for somebody who's a, a new or early career member, they're like, oh my God, Dr. Starling responded. You know, that may be a very big deal to somebody. And so we do have a lot of very um, expert members who are willing to give back. And, and I'm always amazed at how welcoming and how knowledgeable and how willing um, many of our members are to share and to give back to our, our younger members. So I think there's, I think, I think it lies in the programs that we offer and the services that can really help um, move somebody along. I would say some organizations spend a lot of time at, at their annual meeting, and then they may have a lot of committees, but we never know how to get on the committee. We never know when the committees are being reformed. We never know how they make any decisions. I think with HFSA, we make it more open for people to understand what's going on. And we really do try to be as inclusive as we can. Well, excellent. You know, I'm sure some of the other national organizations have uh, a lot to learn from, you know, how uh, things are organized at, at HFSA. And, you know, sounds like a, a wonderful organization. So congratulations to all that you've done uh, to support its mission of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And, you know, I can't thank Dr. Starling enough for making the connection. Any closing remarks, Dr. Albert, for the for the podcast and, and for our conversation and, and for the listenership at large, uh, you know, who are listening uh, to our conversation tonight? Uh, yes, I think what I, I, I think my biggest message is really if you are somebody out there listening and you feel as though um, diversity, inclusion, equity, belonging are not really as embraced as much as you believe they should be, um, no matter where you work, no matter where it's happening, um, raise your voice, uh, speak up, let people know. Um, in many cases, it may be happening in a, a, a way that people don't even understand that their actions are um, incorrect. And again, at HFSA, we've put a lot of time and attention to being aware, to um, doing checks to make sure that we're really um, living our mission and our vision and our policy on uh, DEI. Um, but I think there's always room for growth and opportunity. And I would say that whether it's our organization or any group you belong to, or even in your workplace, uh, raise your voice if you think there's an issue, because that's the only way that we can make change um, to, to be more inclusive and to really um, do a better job. Because in the end, when we are inclusive and we have equity, we all do a better job of meeting the needs of the patients we serve and also our own colleagues. And we see better growth. We see um, better, um, uh, a, a greater facilitation of effort um, and community. And that's really important. Excellent. Well, yeah, Dr. Albert, this has been a, a fantastic conversation. I've learned a lot about HFSA. I'm actually tempted to join as a member myself. <laughs> Please join, yeah. <laughs> So, you know, maybe I'll, uh, I'll reach out to Dr. Starling and, and see if I could, uh, you know, be a member, you know, even though I'm an, I'm an interventional cardiologist and not a heart failure expert. Um, but, you know, I'll see what I can do to only enhance 
some of the visions and missions of, of your wonderful organization. Uh, but thanks, thanks again for spending um, some time with us late this evening, and and um, I look forward to speaking to you soon. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciated it. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast produced by Radcliffe Cardiology in association with makeadent.org. We aim to bring you a new angle of all things cardiology every second week. Review us on your favourite podcast app or send your comments or questions to podcast at ratcliffe-group.com. To view the series, head to radcliffecardiology.com forward slash podcasts forward slash parallax. Thanks for listening.